Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And a warning that the following audio will reveal Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples that have died. Today I am excited to be interviewing Dr Maria Janakopoulos about an upcoming online launch of the brilliant book Mapping Deathscapes, Digital Geographies of Racial and Border Violence, edited by Sivandrini Bera and Joseph Pogliese. Maria is one of the many excellent contributors in the book and she will be highlighting and unpacking some of the key topics of the Mapping Mapping Deathscapes book. To really become acquainted with the material, Listeners are invited to the book launch on the 21st of April 2022 and I'll ask Maria to help me give us those details shortly because it is an online Zoom event. After that we'll bring you an interview with Pamela Kerr and she is a refugee advocate who will give report back on the Palm Sunday rally and talk about some of the issues confronting asylum seekers and refugees who have been released from the Park Hotel. But first, allow me to introduce our first interview. Listeners may recall that there was a a launch of the Deathscapes project some years ago now, which generates a single site in which otherwise silenced voices, artworks and testimonies relating to the lives of people targeted by state violence are collected and interconnected and which has the simply stated yet ambitious objective of ending deaths in custody. What you you will be hearing shortly with Maria, it's nothing new. The Do and Time show, and indeed many shows at 3CR, have talked about Aboriginal deaths in custody and had a look at marginalised community, not just Indigenous people, but also um, migrants, um, refugees and asylum seekers. So we'll be speaking with Maria shortly. Let me tell you a bit about her first. So Dr. Maria Janakopoulos is the Associate Professor of Criminology in the Faculty of Law and Justice at the University of New South Wales, Sydney. She was born to post-war migrants from Greece and raised on unceded Gadigal lands in Sydney where sovereignty and law were never ceded. For 10 years... She lived and worked on Karuna country in Adelaide, where sovereignty and law were also never ceded. 
She has degrees in law, literature and a PhD in cultural studies and works across the disciplines of law and criminology, looking at law and how all its systems are vehicles for colonial power. The parts of the book that Maria will be focusing on, although I will be asking her general questions about the book itself, there are many, many excellent contributors, namely Dr. Hannah McGlade and also um, Professor Bronwyn Carlson, and I've interviewed both of them on the show. And I wanted to honour that because of the fact that when I went to the launch in Sydney uh, to for the Death Skates project, there was a panel. And there was a wonderful panel, um, and Maria, Dr. Maria was on that panel and many others as well. And we'll speak briefly about some of those other contributors. But the, the main things, and we couldn't do all of them, she was going to concentrate on, is going to concentrate on violence and intersecting power relations by Patricia Hill Collins. And Patricia Hill Collins is not from here. I believe she's from Canada. I'll check that with Maria. Close the Inquest, a poem by Alison Whittaker. And we'll look at the chapter Transformative Justice by Suverendrini Pera and Joseph Pugliese. So it's nothing that we haven't covered, but I wanted to, to honour all of those contributors and indeed honour all deaths in custody. And of course, Maria will talk about the chapter that she was um, involved in as well. Hello, Maria. Welcome to the program. Hello, Marisa. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. And thank you for bearing with me for that very long introduction. But I just felt like there was a lot to cover. Absolutely. Do you want to add anything to that introduction? And indeed, the way I, pr- I pronounce the lands of the country, those mistakes are my own. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I think that you've done an excellent job in you know the, the mouthful. There's quite a few of us with um, long and tricky names, but I think you've done a fabulous job. So I, I guess I did want to pick up on your point, and I think it's so important that a lot of the themes that we're discussing today, if not all of the themes that we're discussing today, are nothing new, especially, I'm sure, for your listeners who are very well versed in the in the particular violence that stems from colonial societies like the one that um, we call Australia. And so it's nothing new in one way. And in another way, the book is a very important book the Deathscapes book that's being launched and the associated site are very important because they do tr- it, they together try to bring new lenses or ways of understanding. And why do we want to bring new ways of understanding? Because we want to try to resolve issues that, whilst nothing new, remain unresolved, bringing great injustice to many people. And the other thing that I wanted to say is that um, I'm glad in my introduction you said where sovereignty and law were never ceded. I've grown up, um, I was born and raised on Gadigal land. I lived on Ghana country, Adelaide, for 10 years, making a career there. And whilst it's very familiar for people, especially in academic circles, to talk about the way that sovereignty has never been ceded in places, I want to start saying that sovereignty and law have never been ceded in those places. Because, I mean, law is a particular area of interest for me. It's the area that I work in. But I think that's really important because if sovereignty is illegitimate, then laws that come from that sovereignty are also illegitimate. So thanks for bringing all of that into the intro. And um, I'll be led by you for the next question. 
Indeed, no, Maria. I, I'm hoping that I'll be I'll be led by you actually, because I wanted to okay. pick up the point that you just made before about the fact that even though it's nothing new, what's being covered, it the book sheds new light on ways, as you said, that we can resolve these issues. And the way that the book's arranged, and I've actually got it in front of me, actually, I like the way it talks about the fact that there are custodial deaths in locations such as police cells, prisons, and immigration detention centres. And I'm wondering, before we get onto the specific chapters, I'm wondering if you could just talk about some of the aims and objectives of the book and and talk about um, you know how it relates to the Deathscapes project because it is actually one of the same. What is it exactly in case listeners have just tuned in and, and, and possibly we may have some new listeners? Absolutely. So there you know the first thing to say is I mean I think you've already told listeners that they're more than welcome to join to the Mapping Deathscapes book launch, but also they can go online at any time and look at the the Deathscapes website itself, which is an impressive site that contains contains the project, so the main project, and then the book is a kind of commentary on that project. But what they're both about, they both at their heart have the objective of ending deaths in custody. So it is academic work that's being... Pre- it's work that's being produced by academics, so Joseph Pulier, Sanchez and Jenny Pereira, but it's actually scholarly activist work. So knowledge that's being created and archives that are being built by talking to people concerned and canvassing stories, analysis, putting it together with the objective of forming bond solidarity and in order to, to think about anew the ending death in custody issue. So the Deathscape site showcases cases of deaths in custody across all of those locations that you've mentioned, so police cells, prisons, detention centres. The detention centres can be onshore, they can be offshore, they can be hotels, they can be actual detention centres. Police cells can be actual police cells, they can be vans, prison vans or police vans that people have died in while they've been moved about. So it's showcasing cases of deaths in custody in all of those locations, showing that the the colony is a custodial place. It's a place that is for primarily people who are the targets of colonial power, a prison. And and it shows, in a way, the, the cases of people who have died in custody, but they're cases that are never closed. And you can see that in the way that the archive, especially the online archive, continually opens out to more layers of people's stories, um, adding detail about the lives of people who have been lost, the lives of the people who have remained to love the people who were lost, and to show that the people who have been lost will never be forgotten. It shows the, the lives impacted by violence um, across all of those sites that we've mentioned, are always interconnected. And this is what the analysis seeks to to unravel, that something that's occurring in a prison in, a prison in, in some place in Australia is connected to a death in custody in the US or in Europe or in other locations where police power or other state power targets people and populations. It's a site that shows us the importance 
of stories, people's stories, histories. It shows in words, in pictures, in digital form, in analysis. And that analysis is really important because it provides an analytical frame, I think a unique and new analytical frame for understanding death in custody in a way that allows us to to move closer towards stopping them. So the way that people or societies understand death in custody, where they come from, why they happen, that, that understanding is actually crucial. To get that right will impact on whether that those deaths in custody can we can work towards getting them stopped. Because if we understand them incorrectly, if we just think that they're an aberration in the system, then we're just going to be always dealing with symptoms rather than causes. So this site actually provides analysis that shows us the very, very systemic nature of the violence. And to understand it in that way is a really key for, for how we come up with solutions to move forward from it. And also, Maria, thank you for that. So so basically what, what you're saying is that it's been, all those issues have been placed into book form now, hasn't it? Yes. So the book form is the collection of the chapters um, that, so there's the web, the, the actual site itself is very rich and c- contains lots of other authors, voices, visual artefacts, etc. But the contributors um, of the book are providing, um, providing in book form, so through scholarly essays, um, poems, other reflections, a way of conception, a, a way of analysing the problem of deaths in custody. So, yes, it's, it's in a book format now as well as in the digital format that the Deathscape site exists in. And I want to actually reassure our First Nations listeners. I, I think historically a lot of Aboriginal people and Island, Torres Strait Islander peoples um, have have been taken advantage of by um, anthropologists and academics. And mm. I think that I want to reassure um, people who are listening that this is a completely different assignment, isn't it? It's a different book because you've got Indigenous contributors, you've got um, allies, um, people that are passionate about this issue and the book mm. seeks to have everybody working together, isn't it, Maria? So, for example, yeah. you're, you're, you're a contributor, Professor Bronwyn Carlson is a contributor, um, you've got Joseph and... Um, who's actually a, fr- a friend of, of Ray Jackson, who yeah. Uncle Ray Jackson, and you are too, isn't it? Who, who's I've n- I, you've I never did met know him, Uncle Ray? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've met him. So, do you understand what I'm saying? That it's, it's absolutely. I yeah. wanted. I hope I'm not offending you by by saying that. But we have we need to to bring in okay. the analysis that, um, in case we might have some Aboriginal listeners that are saying, well. What's what's academia got to do with us? Like, how's it going to help us? Yeah. They're just words, and yeah, sometimes absolutely. that that could happen. People who haven't been to uni or who have been fundamentally burnt by um, you know the prison experience would would actually not wish to read this book. So, what can we do to to help them to understand? Yeah, no, I think that you're you're quite right to bring up that issue because it. 
it is a reality, especially within academic worlds, that there is major exploitation of, um, of people's experiences and stories in ways that, um, that benefits the, the people, you know, the advancing academic careers, etc., and not the communities that are the targets of the power themselves. So, and that, and that is um, that is very much a reality. I think that, I guess, what I can say to that, you know, I, I guess, it would be important for um, for listeners to to perhaps have a look at the website in order to to draw the conclusions themselves about what the site represents by having a look at. Um, at the way that the, the various people are brought together in this project, who is being brought together is really significant, and and how the analysis and whether it's um, how that's presented and whether that's respectfully done. I guess you know I am here to convince people to come to the launch. Of course, but yeah. I would not want to be convincing people, you know, what to think about the site. But I would w- encourage people to have a look. What I can say is that I've had, um, I've known Joseph Pugliese and Sivindrini Pereira for probably nearly three, you know, I mean, they've been doing this work for nearly three decades. I've known Joseph since my first year of university at the They're University excellent. of Wollongong. Yep, yep. And, um, and so I have a long-standing relationship with both of them that has really allowed me to see over the course of a, of a really long time how, you know, the way that they are ethically driven to exactly do the thing that they've done with this project, which is to do something of bringing people together, activists, scholars, artists, etc., in order to address this issue of deaths in custody. Maria, so believe way- me, that, sorry, just to interrupt. You know, oh, you? yeah, I, I do, I understand. And, and it's not just me. Like, I've had many, many elders over the years, um, you know, say respect Joseph and and Sovendi as well so not to worry this was just a glance right. you know just a I'm quick glad. a quick analogy just to yeah. let people know that who who have who are new listeners yeah. to really encourage them to attend that book launch can you let's um move forward now to the chapters yeah are you able now maria to and i, I i'm going to try not to ask you questions at this stage because I think we need to get through this pretty fairly quickly. Are you able to summarise those chapters that I mentioned at the beginning? So if you talk about um, your contribution and also the other two and and we need to emphasise that it's more than one country. The book spans other uh, America and Canada as well, doesn't it? It does indeed, and I just want to um, go to Patricia Hill Collins' sure. um, biography just to make sure that we are. The so Patricia Hill Collins, whose chapter I will talk about first, is called Violence and the Intersecting Power and Intersecting Power Relations. She's a distinguished uh, university professor emerita in the Department of Sociology at the University of Maryland, and her chapter is is a study of violence and the way that violence, she asks us to understand violence as not an add-on to racism and similar systems, but for us to see it as essential for each system's organisational practices. She she does a lot in this chapter, so it's hard for me really to summarise it, so I'm just pulling out some of the key points. Yeah, that's fine. 
And so violence, she says, can be a catalyst for social action. And I guess we see this most dramatically around deaths in custody, rallies, and when there are deaths, and as we know, there are continuing to be deaths in custody in the Australian landscape. When one of those happens, um, violence, that, that particular state violence, is a catalyst for people to organise around, around that violence. She makes the point that violence is something that is experienced more heavily by black, indigenous, LGBTQ people, young people, because of the, the way in which they are positioned in relation to, um, to dominant society. Violence and, violence and force, she says, constitute an essential feature of political domination. So, in a way, the, the reason I think this chapter is so critical to the book as a whole is because really the Deathscapes project is an analysis of the particular form of violence, which is deaths in custody. And then one thing that Patricia Hill Collins talks about is the major challenge, one of the major challenges in resisting violence. So there's the overt forms of violence that we see and can, I mean, some people remain sadly immune even to seeing the overt forms of violence. But one major challenge, she says, in resisting violence is that it can be so routine that it can actually become invisible. And that, in a way, allowed me to move into my own contribution, which comes after Patricia Hill Collins' chapter. And my own chapter is called The Colonial Deathscape. And the reason I'm saying there's a, there's a parallel here with the invisibility of violence is because my own work has since the days of my PhD, tried to conceptualise um, and tried to understand and show the way that Australian law is actually an exercise of violence. And I don't just mean the criminal justice system, I mean the whole legal regime, the whole infrastructure. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because law is often seen as you know, it, it, I think that people who are targeted by by, um, by colonial society see laws violence immediately, but then there are people in the population who are not the targets of colonial or legal violence, and they see the law as neutral and as somehow the thing that's going to bring us the solution to social problems, including racism. But I'm saying this is not acceptable. There's an urgent need to critique colonial law because colonial law, Australian law, is a law that kills. I've called this nomicide. So a, a regime, Australian, Australian law has come to be here without consent. It doesn't have a legitimate basis. And so it actually is, as, as horrible as this is for me to say, it's logical for it to kill because that is the reason for its existence. It provides an infrastructure, a system, to allow colonial power to be implanted and then to be maintained. And in the chapter, I call this the monopoly. So people might be familiar with the word monopoly, where there's a concentration of power in a monopoly. The monopoly is made up of the Greek word nomos, meaning law, and the poly meaning the concentration of power. So... The, the Australian legal system, especially the Constitution, is a monopoly of white man's law. And, you know, and so in a way, this is 
I'm trying to bring attention here to that legal framework that can become an invisible form of violence. And yet we've seen just very recently, we know that in 2019, Kamanjaya Walker was killed in his own home in Yondamu. And we know that very recently there was an acquittal of the police officer who killed him. So the, the, the colonial court said that um, this, this young man was killed in his own home on his own country, but the person who did it is, is innocent and free to go. And it's... It's as, and the frameworks that I'm providing here by talking about the, the law that kills and the monopoly are that a legal system and in a court will only ever, and this is Aileen Morton Robinson's um, concept, will only discriminate in favour of itself. So it's not surprising that a colonial court would not be able to read for its own complicity in violence. So this is the way in which we need to start unravelling the law's role in installing colonial power. So law is not neutral. In fact, it's the colonial debtscape. That's what I call it. Australia has a deep sovereign debt crisis. You know, Australian economy, um, quality of life for people who are having good lives on this country are done because wealth has been extracted, wealth has been created, whilst there has been major poverty made for Indigenous peoples whose lands have been stolen. So all of those things are connected to what's playing out in the criminal justice system and there have been lots of calls lately to abolish the criminal justice, um, to, to abolish um, disciplines like criminology, for example. But I think that the actual concern that we have is deeper. We need to look at the entire legal infrastructure, including the, non, the so-called non-criminal aspects of the legal system. Uh, then I will move on to... So, it, Alison Whitaker's contribution, Close the Inquest, is actually picking up on... is is a poetic piece and it's it's really amazing and I really encourage people, if they can, to, to get their hands on the book and to, and to have a read of this. And it's about closing of the inquest and the ongoing ways in which the system not only kills people but then organises um, kind of inquests and, and mechanisms through which it claims to be trying to find out the truth about what happened. So we end up in this cycle of the system attempting to discover the truth but the, the discover, whatever gets discovered doesn't actually feed into the resolution of those problems and the deaths and in particular deaths in custody. And finally, the, the piece that I wanted to focus on is the piece by Savindrini Pereira and Joseph Bugliese, which is the transformative justice piece. And I think it's a very empowering um, conclusion to the book. And, and they ask us, what if, we, um, what if not only statues of colonial figures were toppled, but what if they were buried? What if? What could, you know, what possibilities are there if there are actual rituals um, of burying of these violent systems and regimes. They say this and they ask us to imagine what the possibilities for transformative justice are because they say, and I completely agree, that any kind of reform that we make within, um, within systems that are fundamentally colonial monster regimes 
can only ever work to reproduce a series of piecemeal changes, but actually they leave the infrastructure of killing intact. And this is um, and this is something that I definitely um, work on this kind of idea within my own work. They say that the Deathscape's book really reveals the serial killing power of the racial carceral state, and they. And what they say that is needed by way of conclusion is abolition and, and specifically abolition as the impossible. And the reason they say this is because if we were to do something that were... Um, if it were to be done, if, if abolition were to be done within what I call the nomicidal system or if it was doable within the regime and the regime could actually deal with that level of change, it probably wouldn't really be abolition. And here they draw on Indigenous scholar and lawyer Irene Watson, who says that um, who, who wrote this in 2007, decolonisation for Australia, she says, is it an impossibility? Perhaps. Can it be dreamed of and visioned? Yes. Can the dream be realised? It has before. And they draw on this, and I find this a really powerful way to talk about um, to talk about what are the future. So there's an identification in the book of all of the layered violence that exists. But that is is there so that we can imagine what we need to do next, and that's the very empowering part of this book. Maria, thank you so much for, for talking about all that. And I guess if people want to hear more, they need to come to the launch. Can you give us, please, Absolutely. the details of the launch? Yes, I am going to this right now. So the Mapping Deathscapes book launch is on the 21st of April. So Sydney, Melbourne time is 6pm, Boston, US, 6am. That's less relevant for our, um, for our uh, listeners here. There's a Zoom link that people just need to click on the URL to join. There's no need to register for this event. So we just need um, people to have this this web link. Um, and is there a way for you to... Uh, I don't know if I should... Yeah, how I can pass on the actual um, address and if there is a way for you to, to pass that on to listeners. It's literally they need this link and they click on it and they're there. I the think event. what would be best, perhaps... Yes is, I mean, can you read the link on air or should we? Should I just call the radio station? So it's https dot dot slash slash macquarie dot zoom dot us slash, okay, now this is a test of my own eyesight. They can um, always Google, go on. They can Google it and they will find it. They'll it's find it. Over, it's all over Twitter. So Actually, give they, them the maybe you can give them the the website, the Deathscapes website, because that'll have the details on that, won't, won't it? Uh, I imagine so. So, if they just Google Deathscapes yes. 2016 to 2020, they're going to find the project, I and they'll so. find all the um, and actually they'll find also by a Google search the the flyer for the book, and that's through um, Routledge. And there is a discount on the book if people want to buy the book. But also, if they, this is the this is the way. If they go onto Twitter and um, and check the Deathscape site, they'll find all the details there. And many of us have been tweeting about it. Shall I read out the ISBN number in case people can't make the launch and they want to buy the book? Yeah, why not? Nine seven eight 
Yep. I believe that's right, isn't it? Hang on. I've got ISBN 9781032056579. Ah. I beg your pardon. Find, that's okay, but they're <laughs> going to they're gonna find it all via Google. There's two here. Know, I don't so. get it. I don't know. Oh, what. Shit, sorry. <laughs> This show is live and, you know, this is all right. We've done something organic here. Don't worry. I think listeners need to Google this damned pandemic has put everything online. If this pre-pandemic would all be congregating in the same room. That would have been fabulous. The launch in 2019 was such a good event. Yeah, no, absolutely. Maria, I, I think it's fine. Don't worry about, about the ISBN numbers or the link. If people wish to know more information, contact 3CR 94198377 and ask right. for the Do and Time show and I'll put people in touch. Otherwise, oh, just Google the, you know, the Deathscapes website or the book itself. Yeah. Maria, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been lovely to have you. I can't believe that half yeah, an hour has fun. flown by so quickly. It has. You know, we love to talk as academics. Absolutely. <laughs> and, we, and there are some marvellous examples too, great examples too of, of people that have died in custody, namely Mr Ward and Miss Dew and many people. I better get on to my next interview. It is lovely to have yes. you. I'm hoping I can have you back after the launch um, to do a report back. That would be fantastic, Marie. So thank you so much for your support. Good on you, Maria. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was Dr. Maria Jonakopoulos um, speaking about um, an upcoming book launch coming up and it's called Mapping Deathscapes. Um, that's the the main title, edited by Savandrini Pera and Joseph Bugliese. 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family. It's how you care about your cousins. And it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. And in case people have just tuned in, this is the Doing Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM in the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And you just heard an interview with uh, Dr. Maria about the uh, about deaths in custody in a book launch. Refugee supporters gathered at 2pm at the State Library on Palm Sunday, April 10th and then walked to the Park Hotel in Swanson Street where refugees were held until Thursday um, last week. The walk celebrated the recent Medirac refugee release and the closure of the Park Hotel refugee prison. 
it, it will continue to press for all the refugees to be freed, for permanent visas and swift resettlement and support. Pamela Kerr, who has been a long-time um, advocate for refugees and, and did some marvellous work with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. We've interviewed her extensively. I've interviewed her for many years. I've interviewed her on The Breakfast Show. I've interviewed her on Doing Time. I've interviewed her on The Sewer Show. The list goes on. Hello, Pamela. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. Now, we were speaking yesterday, Pamela, off air about... Um, perhaps giving a little bit of a report back on what happened at the rally yesterday and maybe and give us an update on what's happening with the refugees. It's complex. Yes, it is complex because the messages that are going out is it's all over because a few blokes were released from the Park Hotel, but nothing could be further from the truth. Yesterday's rally was well attended. We were surprised at how many came along, considering all the confronting things going on at the same time. There are at least um, three to 4,000, maybe more. Um, they gathered at, tra- at um, the State Library. There were speeches, music. There were people from refugee backgrounds talking about their experiences. Um, Tim Costello uh, gave a really um, strongly worded political um, analysis. Uh, Sister Bridget Arthur. It, it was it was actually a great day in a way. Um, as sad as we are at the ongoing cruelty of this policy, it's so wonderful to get together with like-minded people, to meet people that I've met in detention and then meet them with their children. They've moved on. Um, Sad to meet others, as I did, who have been, um, while released from detention, living in the community for six years under what's called community detention, where they're not allowed to work, they're not allowed to study, they live on a pittance, and they basically have no future. Um, People don't realise what's going on in the background. Uh, In a way, um, the Park Hotel being such a public place and being such a clear thing... I mean, those men were refugees. They passed every test that the government had put in front of them, and yet we kept them locked up for nine years in total, two years in hotel rooms. It's... You know, it's beggars belief that we allow these things to happen, but this kind of cruelty has been normalised. It started with Ruddick and Howard, and it's moved down the line. It is so normalised that we don't blink an eye. But there are 1,100 people who came from offshore, living in Australia, in our community, and being told constantly they're never going to be allowed to stay here. They've got no future. They've got to find another country. What? Pick a box, reach in, and you're going to find another country. I mean, that's set up with America. That was set up in 2017, and they still haven't completed. Um, They promised to take 1,250 people. They still haven't finished. And then 2013, New Zealand reached out and said, we will take 150 people every year. And what? Nothing happened until just now, just before an election, they say they've made an agreement. We've got to see it first. Not one single person has had an interview or a nod from New Zealand. So, you know, these are human beings like us. They want to have some security. 
They want to know they've got a future. And they fled all the things that we see, Ukraine, Syria. Um, you look at what is happening around the world, and these people are just like us. They're fleeing, looking for a better chance in life, and actually life. Because, as we know, people die if they don't get away. Exactly, Pamela. And all of the things that you have said are, are of carry equal weight. And one of the things that is interesting and, and, and really quite appalling, when people were released from the Park Hotel, yep. they were only given, what, a couple of hundred dollars and then uh, look, in a hotel this, for a couple of weeks? Yes, I'm glad you brought this it's up. It's terrible, Pamela. Australians need to know, yeah. after nine years, and we've seen this over the last 10 months when they release people, they release them from the hotel, they drive them to a ho- to another hotel. Um, half of them were lucky. They got to move across the park, so they actually knew where they were in a hotel. The other half were taken out to this truck stop place out on Ballarat Road in the middle of nowhere and dumped there. Now, they are released. They're given, if they're lucky, 100 $150. They're told that they've only got three weeks in the hotel and then they have got to find housing, a job to survive because they're not eligible for any uh, Centrelink payment or any support. So what's happening is, um, to be quite honest, the government does nothing for them, having held them for all that time. And you can imagine, a lot of those people are not very well. They were brought down because... They had medical conditions. They're not in a fit state to go out and try and find a job. Um, They have to find out, first of all, where they are, where to live. Um, And so the people who are helping them is Sister Bridget Arthur at the Bridgetine Asylum Seeker Project. They're the only ones doing housing, um, and they are frantically trying to find houses, to rent houses, to get people settled, um, and then to try and help them find work when they're ready, when they're able. Um, no, there's, no one else is reaching out. I mean, there, certainly I should say there are other agencies who have given them um, cards with money on them so that they can buy food and um, the basics of life. But, you know, when you've never, you haven't handled money in Australia, you don't know where you're going to live. You don't know how you're going to find a job. Um, it's all the services are all totally disconnected because they're voluntary, um, unfunded, and um, not coordinated. People are doing the best thing, the best they can, but it's a very poor way to treat people. It really is, and and of course, are they allowed to work even? Um, some people, most of them have been given bridging visas with the right to work, um, but there's no Centrelink support or no support to find work. So that is being done by volunteers. Um, there is, uh, without work, of course, they don't have Medicare. Um, the Medicare cards come through after a few weeks. It, it, you know, there are people released without even their basic medications. You know, they've been on medications, they come out the door and they don't have enough to um, last them the week. It, it's 
it sounds chaotic, and it is chaotic. And it is the strength of these people that they manage to hold it together and, to be quite honest, the kindness of strangers. You know, there are a lot of Australians who do reach out. We're not all um, totally... We haven't swallowed all the guff from the government and been um, normalised to this cruelty, but it's not a way to treat people. It's not who we are and it's not what we want. Where's this old idea of a fair go? You know, give people a chance. Absolutely. And what about those that are still held on PNG and Nauru, many of whom have family in Australia? Well, there's over a hundred. There's over a there's um, uh, over a hundred in PNG and over a hundred in Nauru. Now, the uh, New Zealand deal is supposed to um, take uh, the guy, the people from Nauru, but they are not assisting. They're not in the deal with uh, for the people in um, PNG. So. We're going to have to really work this because um, a lot of the people on Nauru have now been interviewed and lined up for the United States. I mean, it's not much of a choice, is it? You, 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 they're told constantly you can't get to Australia, so you've got to go to America. And you know what services they offer. Um, we don't know how long that's going to take. It's so far taken, what, five years to get anybody over there. So... Yes, the offshore, but right here in Australia, we've got people living on the margins on these bridging visas. They get them renewed every six months. They've got the right to work, but they've got no support. If they're sick, they've got nothing. They don't eat. Um, There are people who sleep rough. Um, They find their way to the Brigidines, sometimes Red Cross, can give a little bit of help, but it's it's really a terrible way to live and to treat people. So basically, you know, it's been nine years and there's still no end to the cruelty. Yeah. Are there still refugees imprisoned? Ah, yes, we haven't even gone to the ones who are in the detention centre. Um, there are people in our detention centre who arrived by boat back in 2011 and 12, who have never, ever been released into the community. The government says they're still processing them. Can you believe it? After 10 years, there are people in detention never been released. This is an absolute atrocity, Pamela. Yeah, it's a black hole. And nobody knows about it. It's so secretive. Nowadays, you know... We don't know who... Uh, if if somebody was really sick or suicidal, there is no one we could go to in the inside the detention centre. They have no names. They're behind walls. You know, for two years, we had no visitors into the detention centre. It's just that some of the old guard, the guys that we knew before, um, will ring us and tell us if something's up, if they need help. If somebody needs medical care, that sort of thing. But apart from that, it's been totally shut down. It is a black hole. Indeed, it is a black hole. And, you know, one of the things that that I find really concerning as well, Pamela, is, is the way that that 
refugees and asylum seekers are treated when they're in the community. I mean, I I think pre-pandemic when we could have guests in the studio because at the moment we can't have yeah. guests here because of the measures. I used to have a studio a studio full of of refugees who had been forgotten about by the government. You know, I had one young girl whose father had kidney disease and he couldn't have dialysis because he didn't have access to med- you know medical care. And you've got young people that aren't able to get books for school, you know, So, and they came by boat. So these are all things, Pamela, that that are totally unacceptable. How can we have um, stopped these anti-refugee policies? Well, as you can imagine, we're hopeful that there's a change of government to start with. But even if we get the Labor government, Labor have promised a couple of important things. One is um, they have consistently said over the decade that they don't believe in temporary visas. If people are found to be refugees, they should get permanent protection to be able to settle here, be able to get citizenship if they want it and be able to bring their families. So, And that will be a big thing for over 30,000 people who've been in the in Australia for 10 years. Some of them have not seen their families or children. So that will be a good thing. What we need to do is we need to um, impress upon Labor that there must be an end to this indefinite detention. If um, people should... They, there has to be, and there's discussion about it, whether it's six weeks or three months, but an absolute end date where anybody who arrives here and seeks asylum has the right to have their cases um, swiftly and fairly heard, not this bloody five, six years without even an interview, to be fairly heard and a decision made, and if they're found to be refugees, to be given the permanent protection and resettled in the community. We've got to stop this thing about holding, because what we're doing is collective punishment. We've got a store of people being held in our detention centres who arrived here by boat before 2012, and there's no reason for them to be there, same as there was no reason for the men to be held in the Park Hotel for two years. But it is a sort of um, scare tactic. They're being held there to warn others, if you come to this country, you will be locked up and you will be treated cruelly. Absolutely. And, you know, there is an election coming up, and obviously... You know, yeah. we do encourage, don't we, um, both governments yeah. to respond. Yeah. There's no secrecy yep. here, is there, Pamela? No. They can no. respond to what we're saying at any time. Yeah. And, you, you know, and these are all legitimate things that need to be discussed. And then we, Australians, can go back to feeling a little bit of pride. I mean, we've got a mixed history We have. We've not treated um, the first Australians at all well. I mean, there's appalling uh, abuses. And we've got to change this. It's not who we want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And we followed from the first Australians to the most recent arrivals, and there we are treating them all badly. Why? You know, it's got to end. We can do better than this. Indeed, we can, but I mean, I, I think that conveniently so that you know the the, the settler state, the colonial state, 
has been able to remove themselves and they think that this is all in the past. Well, the secular state is addicted to detention, to imprisonment and to locking people up. We arrived here in chains. For heaven's sake, can't we shrug it off? We lock up Indigenous people and we lock up refugees. Why? Hmm. You know, we need to look inside ourselves as a nation. I'm not saying individually. I'm saying collectively. Yes. We don't have to be like this. There is no reason for it. Exactly. Exactly. And there is... And boy, have we got a job to do on those politicians. Locked away in Canberra, sitting in their bubble. They talk about a bubble. There's the biggest bubble of the world. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the past is very neatly dissected, isn't it? Pamela, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It has been lovely to have you. Thank you for taking the time. And um, just remind everybody, don't forget about the refugees. There's going to be a lot of bullshit put out now as they start campaigning. But do not forget, at the core, we've got to remember people, the Indigenous people and refugees. They are like us and they deserve the same rights. And also the ones that came by boat deserve the same rights as well. Mode of arrival's got nothing to do with it. Absolutely. Thank you, Marissa. Thanks, Pamela. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Pamela Kerr, who's a long-time advocate and has done extensive work with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. It's approximately 4.52. A system based on profits, inequality and oppression cannot deliver a society that works for ordinary people. Capitalism has to go. During this global pandemic, millions of lives have been sacrificed by the let-it-rip strategy, all for the sake of the capitalist economy. The far right is on the offensive, in Parliament and on the streets, and all the while, our planet continues to burn. Now, more than ever, we need revolution. We need socialism. This April, the Marxism 2022 conference will bring together revolutionaries and radicals from across the globe to address the pressing need to fight the right and rebuild the left. Talks, discussions, film screenings and interviews will cover the history of working-class struggle and burning questions for socialists today. Get your ticket to the biggest left-wing conference in Australia at marxismconference.org. We have a world to win. Marxism 2022 is a 3CR supporter. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long covid as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. And we're nearing the end of our show. This is the Doing Time Show. It's approximately 4.54. And wanted to thank all of our guests today. We we um, had Dr. Maria, um, who spoke about the un- upcoming book launch in regards to 
Joseph Pugliese and Silvalandini Pera, who talked about Deaths in Custody and the Deathscapes Project. So I wanted to thank Dr. Maria for coming on and um, representing um, all peoples there. And then after that, I wanted to thank Pamela Kerr and, you know, she, she looked at what was happening with asylum seekers and refugees. We've got about two minutes left of the show. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doin' Time show. And we'll be back very soon. Stay tuned um, for the end of April for the memorial of Ray Jackson. I always do uh, like to do memorial shows for elders um, who, who have died. And there'll be many, many other anniversaries coming up as time goes on. And remembering that we've got the 15th of April an anniversary, not anniversary, um, um, well, yes, anniversary in regards to the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Has anything changed? I don't think so. Anyway, stay strong, stay positive, everybody, and take care of each other. And we'll be going out with our theme song now, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And we've got the Climate Action Show coming up next. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.